We are continuing in our series, uh, Jesus, Every Relationship Made New. It's a series in the New Testament letter to the Colossians. And this is part two, and entitled Uncle Jesus. You, you, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about with that. Um, but um, I also want to bring your attention in your bulletin. If you, have, if you got one of those when you came in, there's a thinking it through section that's new in there. And that thinking it through section is to help us go deeper into the passage, deeper into maybe what God spoke to you during the message, and even better to take that and discuss it with somebody else, uh, roommate, spouse, coworker, uh, that sort of thing. So that thinking it through section is, it used to be that it followed up on the week before, but now it's discussing the message of that week. All right. Okay. I want you guys to think about uh, a time that you got put on the spot. I remember, and I may have shared with you guys in the times I've shared, but I remember I, Michelle and I had been kind of pseudo-dating for, for a couple of months type thing, and I was a youth pastor at the time, and uh, there was a 15-year-old girl who now is a mom, an amazing mom and woman and you know, wife and all this stuff, but at that time she's a 15-year-old girl, and she put me on the spot. She's like, so what are your intentions with this woman? You know, and I'm like, what am I doing in front of all these? Like, you, you have to define the relationship. And, and it was great because I did and it worked, right? And now 20 years later, uh, it worked. But think about, think about where you had to speak words out loud, where somebody put you on the spot. Like, is this what you believe or is this what you're doing? And here's some of the scenarios usually. It starts typically like when you graduate high school. People start asking you, uh, so what are you going to do now? Uh, where are you going to college, or uh, are you going to do a trade school, are you going to work, are you going to travel, what are you going to do now? Uh, and then if you graduate from an apprenticeship or trade school or college, uh, what job are you going to get now, right? They put you on the spot, what, what are you going to do? Uh, and then let's say you've been dating a person for quite a while, and, and then they say, well, when are you going to get married, right? And, and then once you're, you're married, then it's like, well, when are you going to have kids? They put you on the spot, and then you have eight kids now, and now they say, well, you're going to have more, right? The, these questions that people ask us, uh, they put us on the spot. And there was a time where Jesus put his disciples on the spot. And he, uh, was, he had just gotten done praying for people and, and preaching and all sorts of stuff. And, and then he turns to them and he asks them, and he says, hey, listen, who do people say who I am? So like the crowds, the, the Pharisees, the people, who do they say that I am? And they, they go through these answers and, well, they say you're this or a prophet or these things. And then he gets even more personally asked them. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Uh, who do you say that I am? And it's, it's Matthew sixteen fifteen. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And that's really a question that I feel like Jesus asked them and he's been asking followers and people for all time. You know, who do you say that I am? And um, we live in a world where there's much information, uh, there's opinions and all sorts of things flaring in the world, and so there's this pressure that we have to have an opinion on things. And but it's hard because we don't want to have too strong of an opinion because somebody could come in strong with other evidence. And there's this pressure in the world, and it can seep in when it comes to Jesus. Uh, you know, some people approach Jesus today that, well, what if they find out information proving that it was all a hoax, right? You've probably seen that. I've seen TV shows ad nauseum, you know, and they kind of put it out there like they've proved that, that Jesus really didn't rise from the grave and they've, they've found his, 
his, uh, his tomb or where his body was, uh, that sort of thing. And, and it goes through this whole thing. And at the end of the day, we found nothing. But we spent a lot of time doing, a lot of time, uh, doing things. Uh, and the idea is, is that it's pressure. It's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. It's the idea that because we've, you know, we have more information, right? We've got all the information. And it's added to daily. We have access to all of it. It's this idea that we're going to find out something that the, the petty people that with unintellectual minds from 2,000 years ago didn't know and, and wasn't true. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and this was a barrier for him to come to faith. He said, chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. You must find why it went out of date. Was it ever refuted? And if so, by whom, where, and how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? If the latter, this tells us nothing about its truth or falsehood. So magazines, you'll see them at the store multiple times a year. It'll, it'll say, you know, who really is Jesus? Right? And, and I, I like that in the sense that I like talking about Jesus. I've found that it's much more productive about talking about my church or your church or my religion or your religion. Let's talk about Jesus. But the idea is, is like we've found new information about this Jesus. And there's, there's just a whole lot of spin and different things. And they approach it kind of like Jesus is the distant uncle. Like he's the guy that shows up and he's only allowed on the holidays, right? Because Christmas and Easter is when these things come out. And, and it's kind of like, what do we do with Jesus? And you've seen movies like Uncle Buck where it's like, oh, no, who do we call to watch the kids? we got to call Buck, you know, and then Buck, you know, makes these huge pancakes and all these things, and it's, he's, he's the person that everybody doesn't really know about much. Well, here's the thing. The core message about Jesus in the church, in Christianity, the core message has not changed in 2,000 years. Uh, he is Lord. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the creator and author of all that is. He is the victor. He is the defeater of death. He is the all-knowing and yet all-loving. He is the all-powerful and yet gentle one. He is the greatest and yet he is the most humble. He is the highest of highs and yet he became the lowest. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is God. That has not changed at all. And yet there's more for us to explore. Let's pray. Let's invite God's presence today. God, we don't want to dance around the peripheral of you. We don't want toned down versions of you. And we don't want somebody's bad idea of you. You are not an idea, but you are a person. And so God, would you make yourself known to us today? Would you meet us in our need? Would you meet us in our doubt? Would you meet us in our inquiry of you? Speak to us, God. We want to know that we've heard from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ended last week by reading Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. And it says this. It says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And right before this, Paul laid out a prayer that he prayed for people. We talked about this would be a great prayer for you to pray for yourself, and then also a prayer to pray for other people, because it's God's heart. 
And what he said was that he said that they could uh, grow in increasing wisdom, power, patience, and thanksgiving. And he wanted them to know that the reason that they could grow in this was because they were relocated when they surrendered their lives to Christ, relocated in the kingdom of the Son. They were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. So they could now grow in these things. And he was sharing this picture with them that the more that they got to know Jesus and the more that they got to know about Jesus, their lives would truly change. That it was through him. And he's wanting them to know that they need to be centered about who Jesus is. And the need is great today too. Because there's so many messages. There's so much noise. And so the first thing he wanted them to know in verse 15 is that Jesus is supreme in creation, right? And that's even dumbed down. We've gotten so much marketing. And, you know, you go order something. It's like, do you want the supreme? Right? Do you want the supreme, you know, uh, you want to upgrade that? You want the supersize? You want the supreme chicken sandwich? And, and But in reality is, supreme is the greatest, the top. And that's who Jesus is. He's supreme in creation. So verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verses 15 through 20, it's believed, if you were to break down the original language, is it's actually one of the first Christian poems. Paul may or may not have written it. Uh, if you were to lay out kind of the, the flow of it, you would see that he also plays around with the different words for head. Uh, would have been in Hebrew, and then you know, he wrote in Greek. And, but he, he messed, he's, he's doing something here. He's, but he's not just doing it to show his, uh, his literary skills or his writing skills. He's doing it to make a point that Jesus is supreme above all. And that's verses 15 through 20. But look at verse 15. The Son, this one that has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Okay? So there's, there's all sorts of different religions and philosophies, and, and we hear it all the time. If you do this, it will uh, lead you to God, or, or this is the path to God, or if you do this, you, you can have nirvana, or, or these things. But let's set Jesus apart, not as an opinion, but as he expressed himself. When we look at Jesus, we don't see a way to God. We don't see uh, an in-between, but we see God himself. That's what the first followers understood. That's what they saw is that Jesus is God. So if you were to, if you were to show a photo, right, you know, hey, show me a picture of, of your friend. I've always heard about her. Uh, tell me about her. You know, let me see a picture. And, and they show you. And, or if somebody said, hey, let me see a picture of God. That's what we see in the New Testament. Jesus said to his first followers, I mean, he, they said, well, how do we know the way and how do we do these things? And, and Jesus says, you know, how long do I have to be with you? If, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus shared that message that if you look at Jesus, that's what God is like. 
And so he's the image of the invisible God. And we know first chapter of John, if you want to look further, talks about how Jesus became one of us and, and how no one's ever seen God, but they've seen the God, the one and only Son. And then in Hebrews, in Hebrews, we see that you know, God has spoken in many different ways over time and, and through different prophets and people and, and through letters and his word and these things, but now he's spoken to us through his Son. So that you could not be confused. This is God. He's the image of God. And uh, also, too, in verse 16, uh, look, look at it. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So this is who Jesus is. He's the creator of all things. He, he, made, he made absolutely, absolutely everything. Uh, you know, if you think of creation as, as art, well, the art speaks of the creator. The art speaks of who the person is. You can imagine you're standing in a museum, and, and I, when I go to museums, I always feel like, what am I supposed to do? And, and I, I feel like I, I have myself stand there longer than I should to like, communicate that I know what's going on. But you know, you ever seen in the movies, you, you, you kind of look, and the person's standing there like, who's, who's the painter? You know, who... You know, who, who, who made this? I, I don't know. They're up and coming or whatever, right? I mean, it's, uh, you, you think about that. But think about that this morning when you woke up and there was light and there was, there was contrast between the, the clouds and the horizon and, and there was colors and, and that Jesus is the artist of all of that. He's the one that made all of that. All things that were created... And if you look at this picture, I, I took this at my son's football practice the other night, right? I mean, and, and all my friends from California are like, wow, Kansas isn't too bad. You know, I said, I said, perfect Kansas. But I mean, look at that, right? How amazing. I mean, there's design to that. There's colors. There's contrast. It's coming through. And also, too, I, I think that it's God smiling because it's football season, right? It's just, I mean, it's a perfect picture. I'm going to make it my... My, what do you call that? The screen, the screensaver, yeah. Wallpaper, there you go. When our boys were little, sometimes their projects would come home uh, too, too nice. And we knew that it was the teacher that made it. You know, because it was, it was a different mark. And the project would be done perfect the way it's supposed to. There wasn't that sense of their being of who they are. Because we knew our boys, Right, And we knew, you know, the one that would do it, you know, just right, but a little off because they were little. Or we knew the one that would say, lines? I'm drawing new lines. And, you know, use that color. I'm doing this color. Right? And, and use it on the sheet. Put things on. No, I'm cutting up this sheet. Putting There's all that creativeness. That's what we have in creation with Jesus. Uh, Dallas Willard says, the biblical and continuing vision of Jesus was one who made all of created reality and kept it working, literally holding it together. And today, we think people are smart who make light bulbs and computer chips and rockets out of stuff, already provided. Jesus made the stuff. And he made it out of nothing. Right? We just, we just make stuff out of... Now, here's the deal. It pleases Jesus that we create with him and make stuff, but he's the one that made it first. You know, it's interesting, too, this idea of Jesus being creator and maker of things is important for us because it can really change the way that we see other people. Um, I was at Cracker Barrel, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and right, pause, Cracker Barrel. Isn't that, isn't that such a good place? 
Yeah. It's so good. I, I, I liked Cracker Barrel before I moved here. Just, just saying. I'm not a fair weather fan. We don't have them in California, but I like Cracker Barrel. So I'm actually thinking we should move the church to meet in Cracker Barrel. Maybe. So that'd be good. And we'd have biscuits for communion and different things. So we good. All right. So, so we were there. We had, we had breakfast and we we're finishing up. And, and the waitress that we had was just working super hard. But then I, I, I looked at her and, and, uh, and I saw this picture. Like this image popped in my mind, and it was of her. It was of her sewing. She was sewing something and creating something and putting pieces together, and she just had this joy on her, different than what she was feeling at that moment. And so I'm, I'm kind of like, all right, okay, you know, all right, I'll go for it. And you know, because God speaks that way, right? You know, he he speaks that way. He's still doing that kind of stuff. And he does it for the encouragement of other people. The Bible calls it spiritual gifts. So we receive it from the Holy Spirit to encourage others. And so that would be like a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. And so, so I, I asked her, I said, hey, what's your name? And, and she said this. And I said, hey, listen, so this may seem crazy, but I, I saw this picture of you. And you were sewing these things. I, Do you sew? And she goes, well, I used to. I used to sew. And I said, okay, well, this is what I saw and." and you were just so happy and joyful, and, 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 and I just, I, I think that Jesus wants you to know that he made you that way, and to, to continue just to use that gift and that skill, and that's where your joy is, no matter what else is going on, and she just like, she's, this joy just came over her. It's like she remembered who she was, and she goes, and she starts telling me, well, you know what else I do? I do drama, and I do this, and, and just all of a sudden, this person just came alive. It was like just a flower opening, but see, we can see people that way because we remember that he's the creator, right? Each person is this great piece of art. Each person is this great thing. And as we listen to him, he'll call us out and he'll say, no, that's one of my greatest creations right there. And that's what she understood because I didn't know her. I've never seen her before. But God spoke something that only he could know and she was encouraged. So this is not just something to say, yeah, 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 God made things. But no, this is, this is something to implement in our lives in the way that we treat each other. But not only waitresses at Cracker Barrel, but also each other here, right? And people in our home and the, the way that we see each other. But also, too, right, you may be thinking, well, we see ugliness and we see terror in this world. And, and things don't always go the way that they're supposed to. And, and things go bad and, and, and things break up and... and all sorts of horrible things that we do to one another. Here's the good news is that he's not only the firstborn over creation, but he's also the firstborn from the dead. So we next see that Jesus is supreme in redemption. Verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So look at verse 18 there. It says that he is the head of the body. So everything is in relationship to him. So the body is the church. Uh, The church is all of those that have trusted in him and received his free gift of eternal life. Okay, so he's the head of the body. And the head connects everything else. Jesus described himself in John 15 that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And so if you think if there's a vine uh, or a tree trunk and then it goes out from there, the nutrients from the vine go to all of the branches. 
And the picture is, is that, you know, there's, there's a couple of different types of life described in Scripture. Um, there's bios life, which is commercials. You need more, you need more, you need more, you need more, right? Bios life is, is what we're marketed to, right? You can never have enough bios life. Bios life is just something that everybody has. It's alive, and, and I just need more, and I need something to fill this. It's, that's that. And that's not what it's saying Jesus shares with us. See, there's Zoe life. And Zoe life is God sharing his life with us. His life that satisfies us, like the very life of God. God wants to be that close with us that, like, if you think of his nutrients, his life, all that he is flowing into me. That's how he created us to be. And it satisfies. And yeah, you can never get enough, but it's not you can never get enough because it never satisfies, but because it's just like, man, I want more. I want more of you, God. I want to know you more. I want to be with you more. And that's what he shares with us as the head of the body in the church. It also says that he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, You ever do anything dumb with, with a friend? Right? And, and it's kind of like, you know, hey, hey, let's jump over this thing. Or, hey, let's swing on this thing over the creek. Or, uh, let's, let's jump our bikes. And one time, my friend and I uh, had a bow and arrow that we created. And so it was kind of like, hey, well, we don't have any place to put the target. So we'll hold the target. And so he said, you first. And so I'm holding, man, this is great. We created our own thing. We got the target. And all of a sudden, arrows are flying. I'm like, this is not a good idea. Here's the great news. When it comes to death, Jesus has already gone first. Our, our buddy Jesus, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Please don't take it by saying uncle or buddy. But our buddy Jesus has gone first in death. That he would be the first, that he would be supreme in death. And what, did, what does it say in Romans chapter 6? It says, it says that, that if we died with him, we also rise with him to a new life. And so when you think of death today, people, right, there's different ways to frame it. But Jesus says, I've gone first in this other kind of death. Because here's what we know. We will all walk through the door of death. But it is a continuation of what we choose in this life. Right? I, I walk into eternal Walking with Jesus and knowing him, or I walk into internal separation because of what I've chosen in this life. If I chose to be with him, then I get to be with him. If I choose to not be with him, I'm not going to be with him. But we all choose that in that. And Jesus says, death is just like, because yes, every every other people have died. But see, Jesus, he didn't just come back like resuscitated. Because we've seen that, right? Like Lazarus. Jesus resuscitated uh, Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. You've been dead for four days. Come out. But guess what? Lazarus died again. Jesus never died again. He was raised to a new body, a new life that was imperishable and that would never die. That would never experience pain. Had the scars of this life and those things. And so that is what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul's saying is like, hey, look, 
take this kind of death, like a death that this is the worst that it gets. This life, and there's so much goodness in this life. There's so much of him in this life. And so take that death, that I've defeated death itself. I mean, isn't that great? When I was a kid, I was just terrified. Terrified. And as I got to know Jesus, and and it's interesting, in verse 20 is what it changed for me. It wasn't until my 20s that I kind of started to get a picture of, like, what, what all's happening. And, you know, it says, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, right? And Jesus is the one, in verse 19, it says that, that it pleased God to have all his fullness dwell in him. So God, God is, um, and it's a mystery. We're, we can't come up with an analogy to say, hey, this is exactly how it is. But God is three Three persons in one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet perfect community. He is one. And so this one, Jesus, had all the fullness of God dwelling in him. And it pleased him to be the one to make things right. And then it was through his blood making peace through on the cross. Shed on the cross. I didn't really get it. When I was 15 years old... I started going to a vineyard church in San Luis Obispo, California. I went on a ski trip and surrendered my life to Christ and followed and walked through. And and I I learned things. And it was just foreign to me. I, I, I had never been a part of a church. So the Bible, everything was brand new. And it wasn't until I was about 21 years old... And I was sitting in a church in Hemet, California, and, and I, I wasn't really listening to what the preacher was saying, but I really I started reading Colossians. And I started reading this, and it was just like God just, I mean, like I literally had to like grab it, walk. I go to the bathroom, and I'm, I'm on the floor just weeping, and I got it. I understood. And here's the thing. I, I'm slower than others, Okay. So it's, this isn't a thing of like, oh, it's this great ministry, and when you get there. No, it's just that I don't know that I was really paying attention. I was kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I got it, that, that he made peace through his blood on the cross. And I got the finality of it. I got that, that, he, that he got it done and that it was perfect. Um, that he, in verse 20, it says, to reconcile to himself all things, to make all things right. See, Jesus is not, he's not a first-time homeowner like me. When I bought my first home, there was a Home Depot like a mile away. And I, that first year, I think I drove like 8,000 miles to the Home Depot. Because I'd start a project and I'd say, yep, I need this. And I'd go and I'd get stuff and I'd get back, work for five minutes. I need that. And so literally, I think on average, it was about four or five trips to the Home Depot to get what I needed to get it right. That's not how Jesus did this thing. He absolutely got it right. He absolutely got it right in this life. And what's great is, is that the one that created everything is the one that made everything right. Yes, we still see pain in the world. We still see that. But it's this process of God pulling it together. It's all headed in a good direction. We know where it's heading. If you read the last book of the Bible, Revelation, you see that it's heading in a good direction. You see that all is coming together in him. You see that that goodness and love. We see that we're headed to a place ultimately of being that there's no more tears. There's no more dying. There's no more pain. There's no more disease. There's no more cancer. Nothing. There's no more divorce. There's no more murder. There's no more fear. There's no more bullying. 
But Christ is all and in all. Where the lion lays down with the lamb. And we won't be shocked by it because that's how it is. That's where it's all headed. That's what Jesus has done by making peace at the cross. Verse 21, we see that Jesus is also supreme in reconciliation. So here's the thing. We, everything's new to us. I was, telling, um, I was telling somebody this morning just that, you know, how's things going? And I was telling Shane. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, I, I don't know where I am half the time. I'm still trying to find things. And, and so, but the first time we went to the legends over here to, to do some shopping, uh, where is everything? And so, but what did, we, what did we do? You know what we did. We looked for the, the thing that says you are here, right? That's what Paul's doing for the Colossians. He's saying, you are here, and this is where you're going. In verse 21, it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So he's showing a contrast. He's saying, look, you know, all people are, you know, alienated from God, okay? That's, that's something common from us, is that if we, given our choice, we choose differently. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I mean, look at that right there, right? Look at that today. Reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. His death, not yours. You're like, man, that's bad. I got to die to do this? No, he died. He took care of it. He did it for us. It's a gift, right? Romans says that, says that because, because of our rebellion against God or because of our heart not... You're right, not choosing God. It says that so we've earned separation from God. So like if I go work at a job and I earn a wage, if, if I'm paid $10 an hour and, and I work two hours, I get 20 bucks. So it is with the way that I live. But it says that the free gift of God is eternal life with him. It says it's just free. Like you've earned this, but this is what God gives you. Now, here's the thing. We can, we can argue all day long and say, well, no, oh, I, that's not what I earned. Right? I mean, that's where our minds can go. And yet we miss the thing. Right, but here's the free gift. I've found that in a lot of years just of working with people and pastoring that people will focus on that part of that verse. Like, what are you talking about? Instead of just like, hey, look, that's all gravy. I'm excited about this thing here. I'm excited about this thing here. It's, it's, I mean, it's like taking your car to the mechanic and you've just been grinding that clutch for years. And you've just beaten this car up and just not putting oil in it. Like you haven't changed the oil in eight years. And you bring it to the mechanic and they say, look, your engine, everything's blown. It's done. It's cooked. We can't do anything to save it. That's what you've done. You are a terrible car owner. But here's the good news. We've got a brand new one for you. Free. That's what we do here. You're like, no, I did not do that. I mean, look, I mean, maybe nine years not changing the oil. We can argue all day long. But it's the free gift. It's the free gift that God gives us. And guess what? It's for absolutely everybody. Everybody. For me, yeah. God says, whosoever would believe in him, he gives that free gift. And it's relationship, it's life, it's not religion, it's not about where I go on Sunday, it's not about what I do, it's not about what I give, it's not what all those things, but it's about knowing Jesus. It's about this person of Jesus and knowing him and being with him. And here's the deal, as we've seen, he's God. 
And God says, hey, listen, I've taken care of everything. Can we hang out now? Can we be together now? That's what he does. In verse 21, it says, Once you're alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We didn't do anything there, but that's how God sees us in Christ. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We could get into all kinds of stuff here. Say, wait a minute, it says, if you? Ooh. What, wait a minute here. I thought there was a free thing. What's going on? If you, here's the deal. I, um, can you keep walking with him? Can you just, just keep walking? It's not performance. Can you just keep walking with him? Keep showing up. Keep receiving love from him. Keep going. That's what it's saying. It's an encouragement. It's like, continue on. There's more. You know, I, I've, heard, I've heard stories uh, of uh, in places like this that it can snow and blizzards and whatnot. And we lived in Colorado for a while. And we've had blizzards and things. And, um, but I heard stories of, of ranchers and farmers, uh, especially dairy farmers, that uh, during blizzards, like real bad ones, or, or, or sandstorms even, right, back in the you know, 1930s, uh, they would uh, tie a rope from their door to the barn. They'd tie a rope from the door to the barn. Why do they do that? Well, because, like, for instance, like the, the dairy cows, um, and I'm sure we've got a vet here, we've got farmers and ranchers here, so correct me afterwards. I'm just doing the best I can. You know, but like with cows, they need to be milked. Right? And the animals need to be fed and cared for and those things. Even though there's a blizzard going on, even though there's a sandstorm going on. So, so they would need to get from the house to the barn to go get there. So, but if you didn't have a way to get back or something to grab onto, you get lost. And so they'd tie the rope. They didn't tie like eight ropes. You just need one rope. Like one rope will do, won't it? Right? If you just follow that rope from the house to the barn, do your thing, and then take the barn back to the house. And that's what Jesus has done. He's he's given us that that rope. He's made it very clear. Here it is. It's from here to there. And when you get done what you need to do in this life, they follow the rope. And so the question for us today is, 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 you know, uh, are we hanging on to the rope? Or what rope are we hanging on to? I've, I've hung into all kinds of ropes. Um, performance, um, uh, accomplishment, success. Um, and what's hard is typically you don't know it, right? Uh, it, you know, everybody knows you're doing it but you. Everybody knows you're, you're striving but you. And, but I'll tell you what, though. The, the rope I keep coming back to is, is Jesus. Remember when I was 15 and I'd just come to know Christ, I'd tell all my friends, and say, hey, man, I don't need anything. I see Jesus. I'm going to get married and have kids, and we're just going to live on the beach. And that's, that, we don't need anything. You know, I kind of learned that it wasn't totally practical, but, you know, just like that. But that mindset I keep returning to. And we're going to have the worship team come up um, and uh, worship another song here. But um, this morning, this morning, you know, Jesus wants to put all of us on the spot. And it's not about performance. It's not about knowledge. It's not about church attendance. 
But he's basically saying, like, hey, am I your rope? You know, am I, you know, who am I to you? You know, and, and, and he doesn't say, hey, you have to have it all figured out. doesn't say you have to have all these perfect theologies figured out. But listen, do you, you know, do you want who I am? Do you want what I've done? He's a pretty good guy to choose. He's a pretty good guy to choose because he's, he's just given all and he loves us so much. And, you know, there's all kinds of images that we think of God. And mine when I was a kid was that God, like the flat clouds where I lived, I was like, that's God's bed. You know, but, you know, God never got up out of his bed. That God that I sat there and I prayed at soccer games and football games and God, would you do something for me? That God never got up and did anything. But then when I was 15 and people started sharing with me just Jesus, and I'm like this... I looked at him and I read about him loving all people and serving all people and giving to all people and everyone was welcome with him, no, no matter how bad or how good. He just, and I said, that's what God is like. That's my God. I want him. And that's what he invites us to. Let's stand together. Just while we're transitioning to this time and we are going to take our offering this morning. Uh, you know, our offering is part of our worship. Uh, we recognize God as our provider. Uh, when we give back to him. Uh, but I do want to give you an opportunity as we come in this morning, and that's that, you know, it's Jesus has done it all. And so, well, what's my part? What do I do? Well, I, I respond. And so, so how, how might I respond to one that's given so much? You know, well, this morning, uh, you know, it's, it's, you may be holding on to areas of your life. It may be, you know, and it's typically fear. Maybe it's, it's your marriage today, you know, and, and you're trying to hold on so tight, and yet Jesus says, let me in. And it could be your finances today, and, and it's just holding on so tight, and he says, let me in. And it could be, it could be your employment or who you are, you know, or you're, you're a parent today. Boy, parenting, it's not for the faint of heart, is it? And yet Jesus says, you know, I'm pretty good at that. Some people call me Father. And then two, you may today say, hey, you know what? I, I want to grab onto this rope. I want, yeah, I want that God. I want that God. And if that's you this morning, pray this prayer. There's no magic in the prayer, but it's the intent of our heart. And I did it when I was 15 years old. And guess what? I do it, I do it most days. Jesus, I choose you again. I receive what you did again for me. Not because I think I'm going to lose it, but because I want to keep living that way relying upon him. So pray this prayer in your heart if you're choosing Jesus today. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. I receive your work upon the cross for me. I ask that I could know you. I ask that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit that you would give me life that does not fade away. I surrender myself to you. And so God, those that prayed that for the first time this morning or, or prayed it again, Lord, would you just let them know by your presence that you heard them? Would you fill them up? Would you strengthen them? And God, we also recognize, too, that there's needs this morning. We recognize, too, that your church is not a 
place just where a bunch of perfect people show up, but your church is a, your church is a hospital. Just how we see you walk around and heal people and do things and help people, your church is a hospital. And so this morning, God, we ask that you would highlight to people in their hearts and you know those that need this morning, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical, 